0: 20 this story should encourage anyone in the room that thinks that your situation is hopeless that nothing's ever hopeless and that nothing is ever too far gone beyond the reach of God if I don't even preach this I want to tell somebody in the room that you feel in your heart I don't know if my situation is still in the realm of possibility we serve a God that actually starts with impossibility And possibilities are where he does his greatest works. And the most horrible, horrific tragedies are when he brings the greatest glory. And in the messiest of scenarios is when he does his deepest work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I want to give my faith and my expectancy this morning for what a supernatural God can do in our midst. And this story should remind anybody under the sound of my voice that there is always hope as long as there's breath in your lungs. Hezekiah gets a message that none of us want to hear. He gets a message that he's about to die. I don't know what any of you would do if you come to the altar this morning and you have one of the team come and pray with you. And they come up to you and say, I just feel like the Lord wants me to tell you, you're going to die. And uh, FYI, you're not going to recover. See it? The group kickoff. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Um, But I love how blunt and bold the Old Testament prophets are. And here's what happened uh, with Hezekiah. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, here's a great pattern to take through life. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord. How I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. I wonder how many people even just recently, the closest people to you don't know it, but you've wept bitter tears. You've cried yourself to sleep more times than you could count. There's more times in prayer that you've broken in the presence of God than even the people closest to you know. And Hezekiah is there in this moment. And he says, before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Everybody say God changed his mind. Mm. It's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. Somebody needs to, you need to hear. He's heard your prayer. Not just the walls. God in heaven has heard your prayers. Is there a greater thing to ever contemplate. And I've seen your tears. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is in Psalms where it says he bottles up our tears. God has a bottle with your tears on it and your name written on it, and they're precious in his sight. And just like Hannah, sometimes when you don't even know what to pray, your tears are a language that God understands that are beautiful in his presence. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you'll get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I'll add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant, David. And we'll we'll stop our reading right there. And would you just do me a favor? Would you lift your hands to heaven as we pray over this service? Lord, we stretch our faith symbolically through our hands, and we say that God, like Samuel, speak for your servant is listening. God, they don't need to hear from me. But, Lord, you said to the Apostle Paul that that let him who preach, preaches like God himself is speaking through him. So, God, we listen to you this morning. Lord, this is your word. It doesn't return void. And, God, it is a fire that burns through every defense. God, it is a sword that pierces through the dividing of bone and marrow. And we lift our hands like Hezekiah and say, Lord, hear our prayers and see our tears and heal our land, heal our hearts, heal our family. Do something on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, and amen, and amen, and you can have a seat in God's presence. As Pastor Cody said, if you're new or if it's your first time, welcome. We really are a family here, and Pastor Allen is our senior pastor. He's out eating turkey somewhere, and my name's Russ. I serve on the team, and it's an honor to share God's word with you. And a couple of times ago when I preached, I mentioned that uh, Clay Stamey in the back. Would you just raise your hands, Clay? We have a bodybuilder in our midst, and so that is the future Arnold Schwarzenegger back there. He took me for a workout that, if you remember me telling the story, it sounds crazy, but he worked me out so hard that I got sick. I don't have the muscular capacity of Clay, and I got sick and to the point where uh, I I went to the urgent care, and a precious nurse told me that, uh, in no uncertain terms, you might be having kidney failure and about to die. So that was awesome news, and I, um, I I went and got the blood work done, and I, I made the mistake when I was preaching this of not uh, Lisa West, one of our elders, she told me later she was rushed, you didn't actually, re, you know, resolve the story, so I lived, and I'm here to tell about it, and that's amazing. I also got in trouble because my awesome parents happened to be here that morning, and I didn't, of course, for understandable reasons, did not tell my mom that I had a death warrant uh, that day, I had driven around listening to "Live Like You're Dying" by Tim McGraw, and just like watching my life flash before my eyes. And so I didn't tell her about that, so I got in trouble for that. But I did live. But something must weird must have been going on in my body around that time, because um, about a, maybe it was about a month or two later, I started feeling weird on a Thursday. And my ch- and I'm 21. It's, I'm way too young to be feeling like there's anything wrong. And yeah, you're never preaching again on a Wednesday. So um, so I. Uh, I was not feeling great, and I that night I, I went to bed and I woke up feeling like somebody had taken an icicle from the North Pole and jabbed it into the back of my spine right there. And if that's a good enough, vivid enough image. I, I woke up in agony, could not move to the left or to the right. And I was like, what is going on? Is this, did I throw my back out? How did that happen? Um, I still don't really know what happened. I just know that I was in agony, couldn't, could barely move, and spent the entire weekend on my back and if you know how restless I am as a person is one of the things I I wrestle through and struggle through is a little bit of restlessness this is misery for me I mean Doug can you imagine me on your back all weekend long this was misery and I'm laying there do you have any restless people in the room got one got four yeah all right peace resides over the house of new life okay but I struggle with restlessness, and I and I can't sit still. I don't like being at home, and I, you know, I'll go here and there. And so, me laying on my back was agonizing. And so, I, anybody ever just get frustrated? Me and the Lord have an honest, you know, honest relationship, and I was a little frustrated. And so I said, "Lord, please just heal me. Like I've seen you heal, just heal me." And the Lord wouldn't heal me. Um, <laughs> I mean that respectfully. He did eventually. I mean, I got better. But um, I, so. I said, if you're not going to heal me immediately, I said, at least just speak to me. Give me something. And my Bible was on the coffee table uh, by my couch, and I reached over awkwardly and opened it, and my eyes landed on the title of chapter 20, Hezekiah's Sickness and Recovery. And the Lord downloaded a word into my heart that encouraged me so strongly and I told the Lord, I said, you know, next time I preach, if I get to preach in your life, I'll preach this. And my hope said it encourages you uh, like, it, like it did me. Because God wants us to walk around healed. Did you know that? God can heal us in body. He can heal us in spirit. We're all going to depart the earth. We know that God's ways are higher than our ways. So sometimes God will use a, a sickness to, to bring us home. But God still heals physically. You do know that, right? And especially in the soul, God wants us, because all of us have wounds. You know that, right? All of us from childhood or relationships or the past carry around wounds. And one of the tragedies is for the people of the Most High God, his sons and daughters, to walk around wounded. When God wants us to be free to live in the abundance Jesus has provided for us and paid for us to live in. And so I think Hezekiah, there's just some beautiful principles I'll try to go fast that we'll bring out from his word. But if you are new to church or you need a recap of Hezekiah, this is in the Old Testament. The people of Israel have been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They have been brought to the promised land. They've gone in and out of sin and oppression. They went through a time where judges ruled the land. You guys remember Barak and Samson and Ruth and all that. And then finally they said, God, we want a king. God says, I'm your king. They said, no, we want a king like all the other nations. God gives them Saul. Right? We got some Bible trivia people uh, participating. And then God gives us who? God gives us David, a man after God's own heart. Not perfect, but a man after God's own heart. And then after David comes Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom split. It split into the northern tribes of Israel and the southern. And the northern, that was 10 tribes of Israel. And the southern was two tribes of Israel, and that's called Judah. So if you hear Judah, that's just when the kingdom split. That was the southern tribe of Israel. Almost all these kings are bad, by the way. It's tragic. Almost all the kings are bad. All the northern kings are evil. But the southern kingdom of Judah had a couple good kings. And one of them was a guy named Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah here, and I love this guy. There's so much. He, He would write and journal prayers before the Lord and ask God to hear him. I rip it off all the time. I love it. He does all these things that I love. He was a reformer. He was a fearless, fearless agent of change. In the southern kingdom to do away with idolatry, to bring God's kingdom into play. Incredible man of God. He, by the time 20 opens, he has just defeated the Assyrian army by the super, nobody had ever been defeated, nobody ever defeated the Assyrians. Crazy empire of that day. God uses him to defeat them. And then in the prime of his life, he gets this message. Have you ever been just in the heart of an incredible season and have the wind knocked out of you? Have you ever just been in a season or in the middle of a relationship that just, and then it fractures or the marriage goes south or there's a setback at work or a financial situation or a child walks away from the Lord? Anybody ever been there where when you least expect it, a report comes that knocks the wind out of you? I want to go ahead and tell you that really is all of us, right? So uh, I told this story in the, uh, in the first experience. You might, may appreciate this. Um, Doug will remember this. Lauren, who led worship, which was that not, not incredible, pretty pretty good, amazing. I love that song, um, "Defender." And but her husband Sean, for his thirtieth birthday party, decided he was going to get a bunch of people together at Sky Zone. Anybody ever been to Sky Zone? Got a, no one. The story will not land. Maybe, but uh, Sky Zone is basically an excuse for adults to jump on trampolines. It is. This place of dodgeball, and you go flying, and, um, I mean, it is amazing. It is, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but they have that thing where you can jump, and you go 50 feet in the air and dunk, and then they have, like, the ball pits, but adults can enjoy it without it being weird. Anybody? No, no, okay. Um, I mean, incredible. Like, uh, I, I mean, I beat Doug time after time in dodgeball. It was amazing. So Sean gets about 50 people together for his 30th birthday celebration at Sky Zone was amazing. Amazing. So I totally ripped it off. I said, for my upcoming, this is a couple years ago, my upcoming 23rd birthday, I'm going to get a bunch of people together for Sky Zone for my birthday. I made a couple mistakes. I went to Greenville, uh, my hometown, South Carolina, to do this. Mistake number one is I decided, you know, instead of just inviting all these random people that are like acquaintances that I always invite, I'm just going to have a few close friends. Okay, that's okay if you're not doing a, a Sky Zone party. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two is a couple of these families had kids, and I was like, well, you know what, I don't want them to have to be out late, so we'll do Sky Zone early, and then we'll all go have dinner. Those two mistakes combined ended up with me on my 30th birthday alone at Sky Zone. Yeah. So I don't know if there's a lower moment than when a grown man is jumping up and down on a trampoline and with 55-year-olds running back and forth and my dad holding the camera ready to capture the action and my mom and dad exchanging nervous glances like, what's going on? And I'm jumping up and down lifelessly like this. And my mom occasionally, hey, honey, you having fun? Yes, mom, I'm having fun. Please don't look at me. Don't ask me any more questions. They'll be here soon. I'm sure it's going to be great. Life does not get lower than that moment. It doesn't. And I don't know, I don't know what your moments look like, in all seriousness, that have knocked the breath out of you. But I think there's some principles from Hezekiah's life that I'm going to give you really quick, and we're going to pray, that I think could encourage you this morning. Are you ready? Tell your neighbor, say, it's time to heal. Tell your other neighbor with more umph. It's time to heal. All right. All right. Number one observation is this. Here's a pattern I tend to I feel like we, we tend to see in scripture. As we build God's work, He bandages our wounds. As we build God's work and take the eyes off us. I've just noticed he tends to bandage our wounds. Do you remember the story of David? In the prime of his career, he gets this brilliant idea and all his zeal and ambition. I'm going to build a house for God. And so he says, Lord, I want to build you a house. The tabernacle is no more from the days in the wilderness. Solomon's yet to build the temple. And he says, God, you don't have a place to dwell. I'm going to do you, I'm going to build you a house. And I love God, if I can say this reverently, I love his sarcasm at times. I'm a person of, of deep sarcasm, I hate to say. Um, and God responds almost with that's cute. He goes, oh, David, what makes you think that I need a house to dwell? Do you not know that the earth is my footstool? And, um, and then he kind of makes fun of David a little bit. And then he, but then he flips it. And he says, actually, David, there will be a house built, all joking aside. But you're not the one to build it. Your son Solomon will build it. But let me flip things. I appreciate that you want to build me a house, but that's actually not how it's going to work. I'm going to build you a house. And it's that same word in the original Hebrew. And I'm going to build you a house, and through this dynasty, the kingdom will be established forever. And from your seed will come a man named Jesus, and he'll be the Messiah that will take away the sins of the world. You want to build me a house. You want to build my dreams. And because of that, you may be a little misguided, but since you want to build my dreams, I'm going to build your dreams. Since you want to build what I love, I'm going to give you what you need. Since you want to help others, I'm going to heal your heart. When we build God's work, he tends to bandage our wounds. And I've noticed that some of us, I, I really thought the Lord wanted me to tell somebody, you've been staring at your wound long enough. And you will not heal yourself until you help others. And if you keep praising your pain more than his name, misery will keep circulating on the inside of you. I, I remember uh, a couple of years ago we had an event, a Thanksgiving event coming up, and I may have told you this, but you ever been in one of those seasons where emotionally you feel like your tank is so empty, even as an extrovert, you don't want to talk to anybody? Anybody ever been there? Y'all are all holy? No one's been there? Okay, perfect. I'm the only sinner. I'll, I'll stand right here and be honest. I've been in those moments where I don't want to talk to anybody. And I, and, and I was taking a shower, getting ready for this event, and I was like, Lord, I don't feel like going in there. I feel a little burnout, which is not a biblical term. And the Lord, I feel like, reminded me of, the, of in Proverbs where it says, He who refreshes the spirit of others will himself be refreshed. And I thought the Lord gave me a challenge. What if you go back in there and not make it about you, but you make it a competition and make it fun to see how many people you can encourage, how many situations you can get into and speak life into their world and bring and refresh their spirits. I walked out of there a different person. I had a friend from out of state call me on the phone. They said, I've never heard your voice sound so full. Because God helps and heals those who help. And that's that's what happened to Hezekiah. Hezekiah turned 25, he went immediately to work cutting down every asherah pole, tearing down the high places of idolatry and advancing the kingdom of God. And I can't prove this, but I just wonder if he possibly sowed in a future season the faithfulness, or reaped in a future season the faithfulness he sowed in a past season. Because he was about God, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. When we build God's work, Some of us need to stop staring at our wounds and start serving His work, and watch healing flood in when we do so. Number one, build God's work, and He'll bandage our wounds. Number two, this is the most. Don't put it on the screen yet. This is going to blow your mind. You're going to think, "Rush, you are a theologian. You are John Piper. You you, you're you have a colossal intellect." And uh, you just have these deep revelations like the prophet Elijah in the cave. But I'm telling you, sometimes it's the simple, basic things that we need to be lit on fire in our souls again that will revive us. Usually when athletes struggle or businesses struggle, it's usually not the deep theoretical. It's the basic, simple, childlike. And I want to tell you something you've heard a million times. I want you to hear it as if you've never heard it before. Number two. This is super deep. That was bad timing. Number two. Now. All right. Prayer changes things. All right. You like that? All right. You'll never forget it now. Somebody, what are we doing here if that's not true? What are we wasting our time gathering in a room to check off a religious box if we don't still serve the same God of Elijah who hears the cries of his children? I'm standing here because prayer changes things. I'm standing here because my mom, when I was a jacked up teenager, prayed privately and, and secretly for a year that God would send me a new best friend that was filled with the Spirit and full of excitement for God. He's still my best friend to this day. He led me to the Lord. That week after I got saved, my mom asked me to pray for our, our cousin Amy who was battling deep psychological stuff. And I remember just with child, again, I know that things don't always go our way. I know God doesn't, his ways are higher than our ways. But I also know the number one thing Jesus responds to is faith. When we read the New Testament, he responds to faith. Faith does something to his heart. Faith arouses something in the spirit of God that's within us. He responds to it. It can move mountains, just a mustard seed level. And I walked into a room, locked myself in that room, and I said, God, I don't pray to a different God than they pray to in this scripture. Move on her behalf. Move. I walked out of that room not thinking God moved, but knowing God moved. And my mom called me later. She goes, Russ, did you pray for Amy? I said, oh, I did. And I know God hurt you. He did here. It's all flipped around just in a moment. And again, it doesn't change that way every time. But God responds. I don't know, least if you mind me telling this. Last week, I'm standing right there. I don't know if you're a creature of habit like me. I'm spontaneous in some ways. I'm weird in some ways. But I'm also a creature of habit in some ways. And I don't know if you've ever, I know you don't watch me because that'd be creepy. But every single uh, Sunday, I sit right there. And then when service ends, I get up and I walk back around that way, greet people on my way to the lobby, talk in the lobby, go up to my house, get a peanut butter cream power crunch bar and a LaCroix, walk back down, spend some time in the lobby, walk into the office for a second, check Instagram for five seconds, walk back out, hug everybody. And then I uh, come back to the second service. Now you know, you've been wondering that for years. Last week... I did the same thing that I've done for the last three years, and I stopped, and I looked over, and I said, I'm going to go say hey to Lisa and West, Lisa and West, Lisa and Tim. There's not a West, Lisa and Tim. And Lisa said, and the tears filled her eyes, and, not that, and my prayers are n- nothing different than anybody else's prayers, but it was just a particular burden. And she said, Russ, I wanted you to pray with us about something. I asked the Lord to confirm that by having you walk right over to us at the end of service and pray with us. And, we pray, and I believe God's going to answer the prayers we've been praying. I've been praying. God's going to move on that behalf because it's the prayers of a mom. What are you saying, Russ? God answers prayer. Prayer changes things. That's what happened with Hezekiah. Hezekiah got a death wish. Isaiah said, you're going to die. What did Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah do? He faced the wall, prayed to God, and as the prayer left his lips, Isaiah was stopped in his tracks by the word of God and turned around. God said, go back. And you tell him, I've changed my mind. I'm going to heal him. And not only am I going to heal him, I'm going to add 15 years to his life. Oh, and P.S., he didn't even pray for this, but tell him, I got his back. The Assyrians will not even be able to touch a hair on his head. Because God responds to prayer. He still brings fire down from heaven. He still hears us when we pray. And some of us, one of my favorite scriptures in Lamentations, it says, pour your heart out like water before the Lord. Hezekiah faced the wall, but he didn't. See, some of us just stopped there. We just faced the wall. We just stop in self-pity. We stop in discouragement. It's okay to have your back against the wall, but don't just stop there staring at the wall. Lift your eyes to the sky like Hezekiah. to say like David, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It is not. It does not feel good to be in a pit, but even if you're in a pit today, you can look up. And say like David, how long, oh Lord? I don't know how long, but I do know one day I'm going to be saying something. I'm going to be saying I was in a miry pit. But he reached down his long arm of salvation and he put my feet upon a rock and a new song in my heart and a praise on my lips to see and declare that many will fear and know that the Lord is good. He hears us when prayer changes things. Somehow in the weird dichotomy of the sovereignty of God who is in control, he says I'm going to use your prayers at times to even change my mind. Just ask Abraham when they're arguing over the cities being destroyed, or Moses, when God wants to destroy the Israelites for complaining in the wilderness, and they have conversations, and God changes His mind. In the sovereignty of God, Jesus says, "You have not because you ask not. You want to know how big your faith is? How often do you ask? Because if you know that you've got a generous father that's crazy about you, and he runs the galaxies with the breath of his word, you will run to him often. And with eagerness saying, Father, I'm ready. I know you can do it. I know you said knock and the door will be open. Seek and I'll find, ask, and it will be given. So with eagerness, I'm running behind the veil. With the boldness because of the blood of Jesus, I'm coming to the throne of grace in my time of need. Because God hears us when we pray. Number three, if you're taking notes, and, 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 you know, and if you need a note for that point, besides just prayer changes things, it's not just the prayer of Hezekiah's mouth, it's the posture of his heart to change the mind of God. The posture of his heart. You know, we sometimes can read through the life of David, I don't know about you, but he encourages a messed up person like me when I look at all the mistakes of David You know, on the surface, David's a lot more screwed up than Saul, isn't he? Right? But see, David wasn't a faultless person, but he was a faultless person. He was messed up at times, but he had an honest heart before the Lord, postured in humility to receive what God wanted. And the posture of his heart directed his destiny in a completely different way than Saul's. The posture of our heart can change the mind of God. God says, "Repent and see if I won't re- change my mind and leave back a blessing." Prayer changes. Can we just say that together? Prayer changes things. I don't know about you, but I mean, just even recently, I've been thinking about to the childlike faith of when I got saved in middle school. Anybody that would just be honest say, I recently gave my heart to the Lord, there's such a, a sweetness. And I remember I, I told um, I, I told the last experience. I used to walk around in middle school, and people think I'm crazy. And there was this. I'm not going to sing it. I told them, you know, about a month ago. I, I told Dan that I thought God gave me a song. Yep, that wasn't a God. Um, if I sing, um, demons don't tremble, angels tremble, and when I it, it is not pretty. Um, it's not pretty. But I felt like I was going down the road, and I just felt the presence of God. And I was like, I feel like God's giving me a song. And I've never sang for anybody, but I said, "Damn, we got to talk. I, I rushed back to the office. I was like, we got to talk. Let's go somewhere where nobody can hear us. And he's like, okay. I said, I know this sounds weird. We were laughing. Dan finally brought this out of hiding, and we were laughing about this as the staff this past week. But I said, I feel like the Lord's giving me a song. And he's like, okay. I was like, I, let me do the, the tune first. And I, I'd keep clear my throat and get nervous. And, 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 you know, and you're like, I could tell he's just, yeah, you know, and and uh, I'd be like, "Is that good?" And I, like, ah. you know, uh, and it it just it didn't go over well. I could tell, and so I was like, "Well, let me just put the words to it. Hear the words that I feel like God gave me." And I don't know what it was like. Oh, I don't remember. Um, we got done. I said, "Was what was in my heart just communicated?" And he said, "I don't think so quite yet." And I said, "Okay." I said, "Well." Uh, I, was, I said, Lord, you had a shot. If you were wanting to get a song in me, I'm going to die with my song still inside. And that's okay. Um, I don't, why did I tell you that story? I don't, uh, oh, yeah. So I was in middle school. I'd walk around, and there's this little, I'm not going to sing it for you. There's this little uh, tune, um, uh, this little chorus is from Isaiah. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary. and his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And I would just walk around, I'd just sing that over and over again. And I would just, a stupid grinning as a middle school kid, do you not know? People are worried about boyfriend and girlfriend and all this other stuff. But I was walking around, do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord, he is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow. You may grow tired and weary. He never grows tired or weary. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He's got you in the palm in the hollow of his hand. And his, his strength, his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. And he strengthens the power of the weak. And uh, I got a couple more points. Just play behind me for a minute for a while. She, this girl's incredible, by the way. I went to a restaurant the other night, and she was playing. And when she's famous, you're going to want her autograph. I'm just telling you. She'll play and I'll sing. All right. I don't appreciate your laughter. All right. But, but play for a while. It's going to be a little bit. Um, I got you guys for an hour. Lock the doors. Uh, number three. Are you ready for number three? That was encouraging. Z- silence. Um, are you ready for number three? All right, number three of seven points. All right. That was a joke. Number three. Let faith be your default. I just got to say, it does not take faith to curse the darkness. It does not take faith to get on social media and curse everything you think is wrong. We're salt and light, not darkness describers. That was good. We are salt and light. And you know something I noticed in Hezekiah that I never noticed before when I was reading this? and I think this is probably me and you sometimes if we're honest, Isaiah gives Hezekiah the word that you're going to die, and he just receives it. It's like, well, that stinks. But when Hezekiah is given the word that you're going to be healed, what does is, what is he say? He says, uh, what sign will the Lord give to prove that he will heal me and that I will go to the temple of the Lord three days from now? Isn't it interesting, sometimes we don't need confirmation for the negative report, but we need God to prove the positive. Isn't it interesting, I think of Zechariah, when he finally gets the word in the temple, he's going to have a son, he doesn't believe it, and God makes him mute until the day the son is born. I think of Sarah and Abraham in old age. I think about Gideon. I think about the fleece. I think about all these times that we tend to easily believe the negative report, but be slow to speak life or faith or positivity or believe the good report of the Lord. But can I tell you, the default position for the Christian is that of faith. It's that that says God's promises and word are true. He's bigger than every mountain. He's stronger than every giant. It may seem like all hell's breaking out around me, but nothing in my life is bigger than God. Nothing in my life is stronger than his might. David walks up. He's like, do you see how big Goliath is Yeah, But what does that matter if God's in the equation? What does it matter, anything in your life, if the creator of the universe is right in the middle of it? I need somebody to remember this. It doesn't matter what you're up against. The, the grass may wither. The flower may fall. But the word of the Lord abides for every every promise is true. Every dream will come to pass. Every promise will be fulfilled. God will be true to his word in your life. And his promises need to become bigger than our pain. And the size of God needs to become bigger than our giants. It needs to be dwarfed by an Isaiah vision of God on the throne where the walls tremble. You know that's our problem in every area of life, don't you? It's a small view of God. A.W. Tozer says, show me someone's view of God, and I will predict their spiritual outcome. How big is your view of God? Is he a part of your life, or he is your life? Is he the view that you're looking at, or is it the problems right here that blind you to the faithfulness of God? But God's promises will prove true. And faith, I mean, when you look through the New Testament, the thing that grieves or pleases Jesus more than anything else is that of faith. I know we got to go. So number four, embrace the process. I wish I had time to tell you the story. You know, so in a few minutes, we're going to pray. And God may heal you here. You know, in the first point, we were talking about how, uh, how sometimes God will help uh, heal us when we help others. I told the first experience, I'll never forget the story my youth pastor used to tell me of Brother Barry that was his first Bible teacher and he would carry around this Bible as big as as a briefcase and he'd been hunched over for 15 years with arthritis back just in unbearable pain but he says I'll never forget the day they had an altar call and there was a man that came forward to be prayed for for healing in his back and he said I watched Brother Barry walk forward to pray for him And Brother Barry, with a broken back of 15 years, prayed for this other man's back. And as he was praying for his back, Pastor Lisa Russ, I'll never forget it. I saw with my own eyes, I saw shock go in his eyes, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. And he realized that as he was praying for that man's back, God healed his back. Who knows? Man, who knows? As we stretch our faith and redirect our gaze, what God might do. In our lives, but sometimes it's a process. Sometimes, just like Brother Barry, you're healed in a moment. Sometimes Jesus lays his hand on the blind man's eyes and he's healed. And then other times, like Dr. Thomason preached about a few months ago, sometimes it's a process. There's a little bit of healing, but it's what. Can I tell you the most powerful statement somebody ever asked me? Is Russ, will you commit to a process? I don't know how healing's gonna come. I've gone to the altar. Yeah, but will you commit to a process of healing? Will you commit to a process of healing? And you know how. A process usually starts with one step. I went to the the chiropractor when my back went out or whatever happened to me. And I mean, I feel bad for the other drivers. I'm surprised I didn't kill anybody. But I mean, I drove to the chiropractor and and he did some adjustments. But I'll never forget, I told Dr. Thomas this, he said something to me that when he said this, something went off in my mind and my spirit that I didn't hear anything else he said. He said, Russ, when you go home, you need to ice it, but you also need to do some exercises and some movements. And I said, well, that's going to hurt like crazy. I don't know if I want to do that yet. He says, it will hurt. But he says, Russ, you need to hear this. He says, what doesn't move won't heal. What some, some of us are sitting on the sideline waiting to heal, and we'll be sitting there until we're laying in our grave. What doesn't move won't heal. Some... After even the most invasive of surgeries, what do they do? They make them get out of bed and just take a step, and then a step, and then a step. Pastor, I don't know what to do. My marriage is falling apart. Yeah, but can you just take one step? Can can you make a, a call with a counselor before the day is over? My finances, I'm so much in debt. Yeah, but can you take a step? Just make a budget. That's a starting place. And what we don't realize is a lot of times healing is found in the very next step. C.S. Lewis says what saves a man is to take a step, and then another, and then another. And you never know. It could be that last step around the walls of Jericho when the walls finally come down. It could be that first step into the Red Sea where the walls finally part and God comes through, and a miracle happens in your life. Healing might be found in that next step. What is the first step in your life that you can take for God to move? And you know what's interesting about the process, if we had time, is sometimes not only is it not just God doing something in a moment, but in the process, it's God using people. Isn't it interesting? God told Hezekiah's friends, he said, I want you to take a fig and make an ointment and put on them. Sometimes God's wanting to heal us through each other, but we're not in community or we don't have the right people around us. Are the people around you helping you curse what is or believe what can be? Are they speaking faith and truth into your life? Are you in community? Are you that's how God works, that's how God moves. That's why Paul says, forsake not the assembling together of the brethren. This is how God heals and moves and speaks and delivers and prophesies. It's through each other. And God uses each other. And then, isn't it interesting? I mean, God does this miraculous thing, but he uses figs, something that's so common. As I was preparing this morning, I thought the Lord just kind of put on my heart, sometimes we miss the cure for what's so common. Sometimes the supernatural is wrapped up in the natural. What did God tell Elijah one time when he was in the middle of depression? Take a nap and then have a snack. Sometimes... Sometimes exercise and rest are the most supernatural things you can do. Praise God that sometimes he wants to touch me miraculously in the altar and other times he wants me to shut up, shut down, get on the couch, watch Netflix and have a cheeseburger. Praise and glory be to God and his name in the highest. God can move through anything. Will you commit to a process? We're about to go in, uh, back into this song, Defender, that I love so much. But I want to encourage you as we begin to pray that I feel like some people in this room, there there are some fresh wounds. We all got wounds. God wants you to walk around. And can I tell you one of the greatest first steps is honesty. If you've not gotten 100, I just feel like telling somebody, the step that's going to save or destroy you is whether or not you choose to get 100% honest with somebody. James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. We we ask God for forgiveness. God heals us through each other. So there's some people with fresh wounds in here, but I also think that there's a lot of people in here that really it's just been a delayed scabbing from something a long time ago, and you're still just staring at the wound, talking about the wound, singing about the wound, obsessing about the wound focusing on the wound, and you need to be like David when the child that he'd been fasting and praying for finally died, and he got up, washed his face. And went into the presence of God. You know what I've been praying recently? You can rip this off if you want to. I've been saying, God, just like in the old testament, they had a horn that you filled the oil with. I'm lifting up the horn of my life. Would you fill it with fresh oil? Would you fill it with fresh presence of God? Would you fill it with a fresh strength for today? Would you fill the horn of my life with fresh vision and a touch from heaven? I don't need more words. I need more of the Spirit of God to be in the inside of my life. And God's spirit is here. And you could come into this altar or any place in your life today and lift up the horn of your life and say, God, I I've heard enough sermons and messages, but I need a fresh touch from heaven. And God can do that today. And so as they go back into the song, these altars are open. Can we just stand together as we sing? And if you have any need of your life, these altars are open for us to come. Would you lift your hand?